Rookie minicamp is officially underway for the Seahawks at the VMAC. What went down on Friday? Nick Lee and I'll be breaking it all down in a Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings 12, this is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Glad to be joined here on Blue Friday by my co-host Nick Lee, and a special thanks to all the 12, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Jump-starting the second phase of the off-season program, the Seahawks had their rookies on the field for the first time today, kicking off their rookie minicamp. We'll be breaking down some observations. And with the schedule officially being released yesterday, it's never too early to predict how the 2023 season is going to play out. So Nick and I are going to dish our predictions game by game here on our special Blue Friday episode. So let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on our Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. While it's not real football yet at this time of year, one of the more exciting dates on the calendar is when the rookies get to hit the field for the annual rookie minicamp, and that started today for the Seahawks, their 10-player draft class, 25 undrafted free agent rookies that they signed, and a boatload of tryout players on the field, and somehow they make it look like a decent structured practice when most of these guys have never played together, Nick Obviously, we're not going to be seeing guys blocking each other. We're not going to be seeing running backs bull over defenders. There's not going to be any tackling. Contact is prohibited. So there's limitations in regard to what you can observe and evaluate in these minicamp settings. And at the same time, this is a very important phase for these rookies coming into the NFL. Their first taste of NFL practices that they're looking to impress the coaching staff with. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's their first exposure to being a true professional. And for some guys, yep. you know, these all these guys all come from different programs, different, you know, style of college football, different head coaches. To, I mean, you know, college football is its own animal. And getting into a league where your teammates are, you know, fathers of three kids, you know, your teammates have been married for 10 years. Your teammates have, have seen things in life that you like. There's just so the locker room dynamic is just so different. Not that they're mingling with veterans quite yet, but um, just you know, it's a new phase of their lives. And so getting them comfortable in the VMAC and getting them comfortable, you know, with, with that Seahawks logo, um, you know, that they are Seattle Seahawks and it, it being allowing them to truly feel like a Seattle Seahawk for a couple of days, um, I, I think is big. And um, yeah, we, we're not going to talk X's and O's or, oh yeah, this guy, you know, blew us away today. He's going to be clear starter week one, you know, he's dominating in, in rookie minicamp. I mean, we can kind of get excited about a few things, but it's hard to really, you know, it's it's a it's like a step above the combine. You know that they got. You know, it's it, it's not quite underwear football, but it's just exciting to see. You know, like Witherspoon on the back. You know, it's, it's exciting to see that kind of stuff in, in rookie camp. Yeah, that's about all you were going to see with Witherspoon and Jackson Smith and Jigba today. They participated in the warm up, and then after that, they really were bystanders. And Pete Carroll said it's because both of them had hamstring injuries during the pre draft process, and they're healthy, but they're wanting to really slow play this. It's also worth noting that even though Smith and Jigba just signed his contract, Devin Witherspoon is a top five pick, and he has not signed his contract yet. So 
while he was not going to say that today in the press conference, I'm sure that that's probably part of the reason that he wasn't doing anything beyond the warmups today. Once he has signed his contract, then that will change things. So that's what's worth noting here. It's May 12th. It's not like these guys are going to be playing in a game a week from now. They want to get these players on the field, but at minimum, give them mental reps. And that's what we saw Devin Witherspoon and Jackson Smith and Jigba doing today, really uh, working with their coaches, Sanjay Lal at the receiver position, uh, Carl Scott in the secondary. Both these guys were picking their brains and getting every single rep from a mental standpoint. So it's not like they were completely checking out. But the players that were on the field, I love that you mentioned, you know, this is not necessarily, you're not going to be saying, well, this guy's a starter or this this rookie's got a chance to be an absolute stud. You're not typically going to say that watching mini camp practices. Although last year, Tariq Woolen put that to the test because he absolutely blew me away. And I'm going to say this right now. I'm not projecting that he's starting for this team or anything crazy like that. But Mike Morris is already the candidate to be this year's Tariq Woolen in terms of just blowing you away with what he looks like and how he moves at 6'6", 295 pounds. I got this real quick video that I got from minicamp today, Nick, just to give our viewers a chance to really see what this guy moves like at almost 300 pounds. Just really smooth athlete. And I know he didn't necessarily test that way at the combine, but there are just certain guys that play faster in a helmet. And I think Mike Morris is one of those guys and he just towered over everybody that they had there. He looks like a legitimate three, four defensive end that could cause some real problems. And again, I know it's mini camp. We got to see what he does when pads come on, but there are occasionally guys that really stand out to you. Like that is a unique player. Mike Morris was that guy today for me watching this first practice. You like this Corbin, you know, a lot of defensive linemen, they kind of like her orcs where they're like, you know, they're nasty. They're kind of stout and kind of stocky. That dude looks like an Urukai. Like he looks like the, the new like breed generation of defensive linemen. He's, he's just, he's got that frame. Of course we can, we can only draw so much, but, Man, he, you can tell the commitment is there just with the, the weight gain discussion. Um, you know, he, he met the goals the Seahawks set for him when they selected him. Um, you can tell the desire is there. And talk about, you know, if, if a guy has a similar maybe, you know, springboard from minicamp to, you know, the season starting as Tariq Wolland did along the defensive line, I think that'll uh, put a lot of uh, help some Seahawks fans certainly sleep better at night, at least. You know, at least he's knowing that he maybe he's not, you know, Pro Bowl day one, but certainly a guy that can be in the mix and provide some quality depth at, at his rookie year and learn, you know, under guys like Draymond Jones and, and those guys and then become eventually a starter. I think he's got he's definitely got the size and uh, yeah, I think the athleticism, too. But certainly exciting to see that at, at worst he could develop into really, really solid depth this year. This is always fun when you are going to rookie minicamp and you see guys like that that just jump out. You start talking to other reporters and you start getting comps. That's just always what happens. And usually you get different names like Jackson Smith and Jigba. Keenan Allen was the name that was going around today. But with Mike Morris, the name that kept coming up, I heard three or four different reporters. I see some Jadevian Clowney in this guy. And you look at the build, you just look at the way that his game is constructed. And he's a little bit bigger than Genevieve Clowney, not quite as athletic, but you can see some of those parallels. 
just in terms of his size and the positional fit, the fact he's going to be able to move up and down the line a little bit. I think he could weigh 310, 315 with that 6'6 frame and still be a real problem athletically. And so, again, he's the guy that jumped out to me the most today. One other topic I want to touch on, Nick, because we've talked about it so much in the last two months. No Al Woods. Brian Monet's coming back from an ACL tear. Shelby Harris hasn't been re-signed. Puna Ford's now gone. Who's going to be playing knows? And that's really what jumped out more than anything to me from Pete Carroll's press conference after today is that he genuinely seems really excited about where that nose tackle group is at right now. Not just Cameron Young. He's leading the way. It looks like he's got the doorway to being the starter there. He's only going to stop himself in that regard. And at the same time, Robert Cooper, an undrafted free agent from Florida State, another 330-plus pound man. And Jonah Tavai from San Diego State, a player that I've mentioned several times on the show, extremely productive in college. He's 5'10", 283 pounds, and they're listing him as a nose tackle. And that kind of made me scoff a little bit before practice. But then I had to check my phone today, Nick, because I thought I had turned it to one and a half speed. That's how fast this guy's hands were going through some of the pass rushing drills. And that always makes you pause for a second like, wow. Offensive linemen don't want to deal with guys that have that quick of hands. And he's got a very high motor, had 28 tackles for a loss the two years, last two years, almost 20 sacks. So maybe you have yourself a situational pass rushing nose tackle. All I know is that Pete Carroll said they are much happier where they're at now than where they were a week ago. They're viewing things better than that. Just seeing these undrafted guys already on the field and Cameron Young looks like he's going to be pretty going to be a pretty solid player there as well. Yeah, I had some exposure to to divide to divide during his, his time at San Diego State. Naturally, as I follow the Padres and San Diego, and I, I kind of by osmosis learn about SDSU football sometimes and. Um, yeah, I, I just kind of make a little bit of a personal reference with what, what Jonah Tavai reminds me of. There's a guy in my high school football team who uh, was five, maybe 5'8", five, 5'7", five, 180 pounds, and he was a wrestler, like all state. He was a really, really good wrestler. The tiniest little dude along the he, – he was a nose tackle at that kind of size, but he could just fight, man. He could just fight. He was a technical wizard. He was like all county as, as a defensive lineman at that kind of size just because he had the technique he had the, the want to and just the fighting spirit and the fighters you know technicalities and Tavai kind of has that for me you know he's he he's, doesn't quite have you know the, the blue blood size but what he lacks it looks like he he, he makes up for it fight and, and some and pretty sound technically He's also really instinctive, and that was something that Pete Carroll pointed out today. You have a really high football IQ, and you can be disruptive. You put those two things together, you can offset a lot of your flaws when you have those two things working. So he is a guy that I am going to continue keeping a very close eye on. But that looks like it might be a fascinating battle there with three rookies going at uh, that competition for the nose tackle spot with differing skill sets. And so Pete Carroll and company seem pretty excited about that. We're going to get back to talking about the schedule coming up next. It's never too early to make way too early predictions game by game. So that's what Nick and I are going to be doing, going through all 17 games and discussing which games we think the Seahawks are going to win, which ones are going to be most difficult. So we're going to get to that coming up next year on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by Built Bar. If you're looking for a delicious snack but don't want all the sugar and the calories, you got to try the best-tasting protein bar out there, the Built Bar. If you're like me and you want a healthier snack but you don't want to compromise on taste, Built Bars and Built Puffs 
are healthy and taste amazing. They're so amazing, you won't think they're good for you. Covered in 100% real dark chocolate, and they come in unbelievable flavors like churro, peanut butter, brownie, cookies, and cream. I'm not sure how they do it, but they keep making these candy bar-like protein bars with incredible macros, including 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't have to wait at home for them to ship a box to you. You can go over to your local Walmart or Sam's Club, and you can get your specialty flavors still at Built.com. That's right. Head on over to Walmart today. Go to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built Bars, a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate or coconut puff. You can also go to Sam's Club and get a 13-bar box with their flavors like brownie batter puff and churro puff. You can thank me later. You're listening to the Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. It's your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined on today's show by my co-host, Nick Lee. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen to five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. For our everydayers out there, Robert Egg and I are going to be breaking down the final practice from rookie minicamp on Monday. Both of us will be in attendance at Saturday's second session, so we should have plenty of notes coming out of rookie minicamp going into OTAs. You won't want to miss that coming up on Monday's episode of Locked on Seahawks. Nick, let's get to the schedule. You were not on the schedule reveal show yesterday. We had Dallas Cooper as the co-host yesterday, and Dallas and I deconstructed this schedule looking at the good parts of it the bad parts of it the questionable parts of it now you and i get a chance to dive through this schedule but we're going to do so with some way too early predictions we're going to pick game by game for the seattle seahawks from week one to week 18 and we'll see how the two of our predictions end up going against one another so i'm going to give you the mic here first and we're going to go in clusters of six because we got three sets of them. Weeks one through six, you get five games here, Nick. How do you see the season starting off for the Seattle Seahawks? Well, I like where they start out with the Rams. Uh, the Rams are pretty much a mess. You know, that, that Super Bowl feels like eight years ago. <laughs> and uh, something else I, I noticed was the Seahawks have won four straight season openers, which is, is interesting, an interesting trend. Seahawks swept the Rams last year, so I, I like the win there. I like I like a win there for for the Ram against the Rams opening weekend. Then at Detroit, um, you know this, this one's going to be tough. Lions the game last year was bonkers, ninety three combined points, over a thousand combined yards. One of the more entertaining games of the whole season, I think, was was, was Seahawks Lions last year. Um, and they added some weapons in the draft: Gibbs at running back, Laporta at tight end, Amon Ross St. Brown as a fine receiver. Jared Goff still can get it done. Um, Lions are really improved, and you know Dan Campbell. He's he's got that group playing hard on the road. I, I have this as a loss. Um, so one and one to start. And then Carolina Panthers. Panthers have the one, number one pick despite going seven and ten. So really, they're not a terrible team. Heck, they beat the Seahawks in Seattle last year. They were pretty feisty, um, and, and now they appear to have a QB. You know Bryce Young throwing to Adam Thielen, DJ Chark. Um, that's going to be a, a feisty group. Miles Sanders in the backfield. I do have a win for the Seahawks there, but it's going to be tight. Um, I, I think the Carolina Panthers are going to surprise some people and, you know, punch some guys in the mouth. And Monday night against the Giants, uh, this one will be fun. Monday night football, Big Apple, you know, that, that doesn't get much bigger than that. Big year for the Giants. You know, they just handed out Daniel Jones an extension, won a playoff game last year. That building will have some juice, but I think that also favors the Seahawks as well. They, they do kind of feed off that just from top to bottom. Looking at the two rosters, the Giants and the Seahawks, I like the Seahawks. I like Geno Smith over Daniel Jones. Um, you know, the fact that it's on the road maybe gives me a little bit of a pause, but under the lights, I'll take the Seahawks with a win there. So I got them starting at three and one. And then uh, at uh, Kansas City, um, or sorry, at Cincinnati, 
that'll be their biggest test of the season so far for sure. Um, the Bengals are our top three team in, in the AFC, or maybe even the NFL, definitely Super Bowl contenders. It's in Cincy. That's going to be tough. I haven't had that as a loss. So I have first five games, uh, I have them at three and two. Yeah, we're in agreement on the record, maybe getting there a little bit differently. I actually have the Seahawks starting the season 3-0, and and I really like the Detroit Lions. I think they are going to win the NFC North this year, but I think the Seahawks match up well with them when you compare the rosters, and I would still take Geno Smith over Jared Goff, and so I think it's going to be another high-scoring affair. I think the Seahawks get the job done. The Lions still have some major question marks at cornerback based on what I've seen. So this feels like a game that the receivers should be able to get open and do some damage against Detroit. And I think that week three game, Carolina has a lot of different players, and they're going to be early in Bryce Young's rookie season. They don't have DJ Moore anymore. I have a feeling that that's a team that's going to be really dangerous the second half of the season. Getting them in week three might be a good time, though, with a rookie quarterback and a lot of the new pieces, a new head coach. And it's at home. And oh, by the way, the Seahawks did lose to them last December. So there's going to be a little bit of a revenge factor. Geno Smith had his worst game of the season. He's going to want to bounce back from that game against a pretty good Carolina D. So I have Seattle starting off at 3-0. and And then I have them hitting a little bit of a skid. I, I actually think the New York Giants are a under-the-radar Super Bowl team. And it's not because I think Daniel Jones is a superstar. I don't think that. But... I love Saquon Barkley. I love the addition of Darren Waller. They upgraded their offensive line in the draft. John Michael Schmitz being one of the players they got. I know he was your favorite center. I just really liked what they did this offseason, and they've got a fantastic head coach there as well. And so I think the Giants are a team that maybe maybe they end up struggling a little bit early because they have a really hard schedule the first eight weeks. But this primetime game at home, I actually think that that's going to be a tougher matchup for the Seahawks. So I have them losing that game going into the bye. And then I have them losing in Cincinnati, as you do coming out of the bye. I, just sense, I think Cincinnati is just the better football team, and they're playing at home. Joe Burrow, that's one of the few cases where I think the Seahawks are going to have a clear disadvantage at quarterback. I think Burrow is a top three QB in this league. He's got a couple stud receivers. Their offensive line got some upgrades with Orlando Brown Jr. coming over. I just think that that's going to be a really tough one for the Seahawks to win. So you and I are on the same tangent here. Three and two record, just getting there a little bit differently. I've got Seattle starting off red hot and then hitting a two-game losing skid going into the second portion of the season, which leads us to week seven to week 12, our second segment here. And this is one that I think you and I actually going into the show, we might have identical predictions on this particular section of the schedule. Yeah. I mean, they, they play the Arizona Cardinals to, to start that. And look, the Cardinals are a mess and we're not even sure Kyler Murray will be back by then. And if he is back, you know, maybe not hundred percent. And even if he is, you know, the Cardinals are lacking in a lot of areas. I see that as a win especially at home, kind of the same thing with the Browns. They're a bit more of a functional mess. <laughs> you know, they're, they're a bit more of a, you know, that they have Deshaun Watson, you know, say what you want is, is a capable quarterback. Um, Nick Chubb is a stud. They just added uh, Zatarius Smith to Miles Garrett along that defensive line. Are you kidding me? That's going to be a, a nasty, nasty defensive line. I think that's going to be a sneaky, tough game. I think that the Seahawks do win that. Um, winning at Baltimore is a little bit of a tall ask for me, especially now that Lamar Jackson's back. He has a pretty decent receiving core coming back to OBJ, Odell Beckham Jr. And then Zay Flowers, I think, was one of the better receivers in the draft, if not you know, arguably in some areas the best, you know, at least second best to Jackson Smith and Jibba. 
Um, so I got them losing in Baltimore. And then against Washington, uh, I, I see that with a home game. Washington kind of also a mess, um, especially at quarterback. I'm not a huge Sam Howell fan. Uh, so I, I see the Seahawks taking care of business at home there. And then I don't see them sweeping the Rams. I, I think that they that the Rams will be a little bit less of a mess this year, just naturally, you know, return to the law of averages. Um, a lot went wrong for the Rams last year, and I don't think that roster is that terrible. So sweeping them is a bit of a tall ask. I'm going to have, and especially you know, with Seattle having struggled sometimes in LA, so I don't I don't see that happening. But then Thursday night, Thanksgiving night, San Francisco 49ers. Corbin, it doesn't get much bigger than that in the regular season. Thanksgiving night against your arch rival at home. I think the building is going to be juiced. I think that the team's going to be juiced. I think that's going to be one of the games of the year. And I think the Seahawks win just out of sheer, you know, juice. <laughs> yeah. I view that game being kind of the Russell Wilson, and the Broncos coming to Seattle type thing, even though you don't have a player like that returning, it's the first time in Seahawks history they've had a home game on Thanksgiving and to play it against the team that beat you all three times last year. This will be the first matchup that they have against each other. You know emotions going to be running high, and the Seahawks want to prove that they can beat the 49ers. And so we are in agreement, actually, on all six of those games. I think the Arizona Cardinals will have the number one pick when we get to next year's draft, and maybe they'll exceed expectations. But Kyler Murray's coming back from an ACL tear. They've lost a ton of talent on defense. They've got a bunch of players that are on their roster like DeAndre Hopkins and Buda Baker that want traded. Uh, it, it's just an absolute mess. So uh, that's a game the Seahawks absolutely should win. We know that the Cardinals always play them tough at Lumen Field, though, so uh, no game is, an, is a gimme necessarily. The Cleveland game is a coin flip to me, especially with adding Zedarius Smith, as you mentioned. Baltimore might be one of their tougher road games. I think that the Ravens with a new offense, that is going to be a really fun team to watch, and it's not going to hold Lamar Jackson back quite as much. The Washington game, to me, is one of those classic uh, bubble games because they do have some really good players on defense, and I'm actually higher on Sam Howell than what you are. And now that Dan Snyder is no longer the owner, I have a feeling that this year could end up being a lot better just because they don't have that guy clouding over the organization. But I think the Seahawks are the better team. They're playing at home. I like them to win that one. And I'm with you. They're not going to sweep the Rams. I think the Rams are going to be a potential wild card team if everybody can stay healthy. That's the big if. They lost a lot of good players, but they still have a lot of good players and they have a really good coach. So I expect that they're going to be much more competitive as long as they can keep their star players healthy. And that game against the 49ers, I mentioned, I just think the emotions are going to be running high. I think San Francisco is going to be good, but I don't know if they'll be as good as last year. There are some question marks with some positions they lost, including along the offensive line, McGlinchey leaving being the most notable one. Their quarterback situation is a little bit in flux with guys coming back from injuries. So we'll see what ends up happening. I still think they're going to be a really good team, but I like the Seahawks to win that game. So we have both seven and four records going into week 13. Now let's finish up our season now here, Nick, in our game-by-game -game predictions the last six weeks. And we are now in the midst of easily the toughest stretch of games for the Seahawks that starts with that week 12 Thanksgiving game against the 49ers and then they get another Thursday night game against the Cowboys the following week again this is when things get really tricky for the Seahawks yeah this is definitely the uh to another Lord of the Rings reference the the, the swamps you know heading into into Mordor I mean that was just let you careful where you step um I, I you have a swoon after the first three games this is my swoon for them just uh you know I think going back to back Thursday nights 
like I said, all that juice into that Thanksgiving night. I think they're going to use a lot of energy, which will be fun. It'll be, I think, hopefully a good win. But I think they're going to feel it that next week uh, against the, the Cowboys on the road. Another That building will be juiced for, for the Cowboys. I think that they'll be a little gassed at that point. Um, so I, I just see them running out of energy there. And then kind of the same thing. You go from that to playing the 49ers on the road. Um, again, I, I don't, I'm not sure they're, you know, Super Bowl favorite, but I still think they're a top two, three team in the NFC easily in the 49ers. So there's no way, I, I don't see a way the Seahawks sweep them. So uh, I see the 49ers winning that one. And then this is my, my tough one. I don't see the Eagles, or sorry, the Seahawks going undefeated at home uh, this year. So the, the Eagles strike me as a team that is really pissed off at how last season ended. Um, I kind of have a little bit. That's of, a good way to put it. <laughs> little little plugged in. Um, you know, my dad's a diehard Eagles fan. My brothers are all diehard Eagles fans. And so they are not none too pleased in how last year ended. They thought that a, a title was taken from them. And I think that the Eagles are going to play like it. And and unfortunately, I think the, 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 the Seahawks might fall victim to that. Um, they're just a really, really tough matchup with that elite defensive line for the Philadelphia. So I see that as a loss. And then I see them finishing strong. Um, the, the Titans don't scare me, even with Derrick Henry. Um, I wonder what kind of state they'll be in late in the season. You know, the Ryan Tannehill situation. Will, will Levis be starting by then? Is Derrick Henry healthy? Um, is he playing? You know, that, that kind of thing. A lot of things can change, of course, throughout the year. Um, I see them winning that game at Tennessee. And then the Pittsburgh Steelers on New Year's Eve, um, they, they don't have that same mystique they used to. They don't scare me a ton. I'm not, I'm not sure about Kenny Pickett. I don't think he's, you know, I, I think he's maybe average. I'm not sure he's terrible, but he doesn't, he doesn't instill fear in me, especially at home with the Steelers. You know, there, there's a certain little history between the Seahawks and Steelers. So I think this, the Seahawks fans in, in that environment would be a lot of fun. And I think the Seahawks win and then they'll finish strong. And I think they'll sweep Arizona. Arizona is a hot mess. Yeah. Let's look at my predictions here. And this is where we have a slight detour. I actually really like the Seahawks matching up against the Dallas Cowboys, even though it's on the road, it's a second straight Thursday night game. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but I was not overly impressed with the draft that Dallas had. And I felt like in the off season in free agency, they lost some pretty good players and didn't necessarily add a lot to their roster. And so I think they're still going to be a playoff team, but I don't think they're going to be as good as last year. And I also feel like Dak Prescott is a good quarterback, but not a great one. And I think with the weapons the Seahawks have put around Geno Smith, I just think that they're a better overall team this year than the Cowboys. And again, maybe I'll be wrong on this. Dan Quinn has done a phenomenal job coaching up that defense. They've got an elite player, Micah Parsons. They've got some good receivers. Obviously there's talent there. I just, I like Seattle in that matchup. Now the next two, I do not like this. I think that the 49ers are going to rock the Seahawks in Santa Clara after losing that primetime game on Thursday night football. It's just really hard to beat a good team twice. So I think that that game is going to be difficult for Seattle playing on the road in the NFC West. And then Philadelphia, I just think it's one of those rare instances, a team that loses the Super Bowl, they went out and got so much better this offseason. And they did it with, quite frankly, spending less money in a number of positions. I just think Philadelphia is a team that is poised to once again make a legitimate run to get right back to the Super Bowl and maybe win it this time. That is the toughest home game on Seattle's schedule. As for the last three games, I mentioned on the show yesterday, this is the make it or break it part of the schedule for me because I feel like the Seahawks should win each of these last three games. 
The matchup against Tennessee, Derrick Henry scares me just because we know what this run defense looked like last year. But Will Levis, there's a chance he could be starting by that point. They don't have any stud receivers, whoever's at quarterback. They've lost tight ends. They've lost offensive linemen. I think that team is going to go through a, a rough transition year this year. And so even though it's on the road, I like the Seahawks to win that one. The following game, I think Pittsburgh is a dark horse to watch to maybe slip into the playoffs. They almost did last year, and it's not necessarily because of Kenny Pickett, but I loved the draft they had. It felt like they added their defense, especially the cornerback group. They've got a running game that was starting to emerge late in the year. They've got some fun weapons on the outside. So I don't think that's going to be an easy cakewalk game by any means. I still think the Seahawks are the better team. They have the better quarterback, so I think they should win that one. And then, as we've talked about, you're going to the house of horrors in Week 18 with the Arizona Cardinals, so you're hoping you can get out of there without any major injuries. Uh, but at that point, Arizona is going to be trying to play spoiler. I feel like the Seahawks, there's going to be that urgency. We need to go here on the road, NFC West against an inferior team, and get the job done. So I have them winning each of their last three games and winning four of their final six to get to an 11-6 and six record. You've got them at 10-7. and seven. So we both have better records than we gave them going into last season. There's certainly higher expectations, but this does feel like a schedule, Nick, that Early and at the end of the season, the Seahawks have two stretches there where if they are really able to capitalize, you can get off to a fast start and you can end on a high note. And that gives you a little more flexibility with that brutal part of the schedule from week 12 to week 15 when you've got two games against the 49ers, a game against the Cowboys, and a game against the Eagles. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's obvious, you know, you got to make hay when you, when you, when you can, I mean, that's kind of the obvious statement and you can't drop the ones. I mean, we, we know the Seahawks, we know that they're, they're There's going to be a head scratching one in there somewhere. Now the question is, I love the, uh, I'm going to steal their bit here. The solid verbal college football guys that they're the podcast they do, or they do a fantastic job. They always say, when you're clunkers that they're, you know, if, you know, Iowa beats, you know, Rutgers by three points, you know, they, Hey, they won, they beat their, they, they had, they beat, they won their clunker. Can the Seahawks win their clunkers this year? I think that might be the difference between, you know, sneaking in as a wild card team and truly competing for an NFC West championship this year is uh, there's going to be a couple clunkers, but can they win those 10 and seven? I think they're squarely in the playoffs. You know, they're squarely, I think in that, in that NFC West race, I don't see the 49ers blowing them out of the water with, you know, 14 and three season or anything like that. I think they're going to be very much competitive in this in this division. Um, I, I'm not going to go ahead and blow smoke and say the Seahawks should be considered a Super Bowl contender at this point. Um, I think there are some pieces there. I think Geno Smith can can get them there if, if there's some some good bounces and good breaks and other ways, health willing. Um, this team is a real. I think is much improved from last year, especially on defense. Now, if last year, if the defense is average, they're a really good football team last year. And this year, I think they they took a lot of good strides to get there. So I think ten wins, and you know maybe they'll maybe they'll be one of those teams you don't want to play in January kind of teams come playoff time. Yeah, they can't afford to do what they did against the NFC South last year, where they didn't win any of those four games. As you mentioned, the clunkers, the the games that are winnable, you've got to find a way to get it done. Because I do think that the hard parts of the schedule, especially that four game stretch in the second half with two games against the 49ers, the Eagles and the Cowboys, there was not a stretch like that on their schedule last year that was that brutal. And they had some games they should have won, they let slip away. So hopefully they're not going to have that issue because if they do with some of the other tough games they got in the middle of the season, getting to nine wins again might be really difficult. They've got to win the games they are supposed to win. 
with a better roster. And they had some times last year that did not happen, especially in the second half of the season when they kind of uh, scuffled a little bit and nearly played themselves out of the playoffs. So that is going to be the key to this team getting to that 10, 11, 12 win threshold that it feels like they have the talent to be able to do if everything comes together and your rookie class comes in and contributes anywhere close to what the uh, group from a year ago did. If they can do that and those sophomores take a big step forward, this can be a really fun team. But uh, nonetheless, there are some things in this schedule that are unforgiving, especially playing two Thursday night games in a row and some of the other things with travel mixed in there. Uh, there are going to be some challenges here, and Pete Carroll and company are going to have to push the right buttons to get the most out of this young football team. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee 51. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and other platforms to make sure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up on Monday, Rob and I are going to be breaking down the second day of rookie minicamp, and we'll be taking a look at Cameron Young, the fourth-round defensive tackle, where he fits into Seattle's defensive plans and on the depth chart along the defensive line. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.